the Strategic Hot Box with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. From the streets of Las Vegas, energized, informed, and never diluted. It's time to kick some ass. It is time. It is time for us to kick some ass together. And it's 2020. Yes. Here we are. Thank you for joining us on the Strategic Hot Box. Welcome back for those of you that have joined us before. Today is going to be a great episode. We're talking about social justice and marijuana, marijuana, with a good friend, Beth Carr. She's going to talk to us about what does social justice mean in regards to serving our membership and with marijuana-related businesses. Let's get started. As you know, on the Hotbox, we learn, we love, and we kick ass. For those that have been around the block with us, this is becoming old news for you, but still as important and relevant as it was the very first episode. We learn a little. We learn from subject matter experts like Beth that's joining us today. We love, and it's about creating relationships and figuring out ways to choose love in our industries, in our backyards, in our extracurricular, in our homes, etc. And then, of course, at the end of every podcast, we will give you some kick-ass tools to implement and start executing today. So when it comes to social justice and and marijuana and this idea, I was thinking about sometimes the greatest growth as a leader is when we have to stand up against the norm. Even the greatest growth as a human being is when we're standing up for something that we believe in. And sometimes that's hard to do. It, there's there's all sorts of concepts and philosophies of group think and people working together and, and people being afraid or being passive aggressive or or not, not being there and standing up and now that is all balanced with the idea that I personally am a huge pusher proponent of choosing your battles right so I always urge other individuals that I'm working with and around that you don't need to, to stand up and cry wolf and get crazy over everything right make sure that when you are standing up for something that your message is heard and standing up for too many things can dilute that message or impact that message in the future but when it comes to injustice or social justice it's about really standing up for what's right what you believe to be right what's aligned with your values. Now, if we take it to marijuana, marijuana, the industry, as we know, is booming. And in so many geographic regions, it's becoming a way of life. As a matter of fact, in Nevada, there, there's a lot of challenges in regards to pre-employment screening and the legality of not hiring someone or, or firing someone based on them failing their drug tests due to marijuana. And so all of these things are happening in different industries. However, banking is behind. This marijuana-related business and industry is a train racing downhill. It's building momentum. And when it comes to banking, there's still so many things that are left unfigured out. Some people that are not serving or choosing not to serve big organizations. I'm not even talking about small institutions. I'm talking about the big players are still not dabbling or even, even approaching this industry. And there are opportunities to serve individuals and safety and all those things that are involved in that. And we've talked about that on the hot box before. My friend Beth Carr is going to join us here and here in just a second is one who has stood up for what she believes in and said, hey, serving the people in my community as a financial institution is the right thing to do. And 
then that marijuana-related businesses are a way of life or part of the reality in Santa Cruz, and that is the membership of which she serves, and she'll tell us more about that. But the social justice then becomes being brave enough to stand up against the status quo and all the different repercussions that could come from that. And I think a leader's ability to stand up has to really come from a social mission or a a place of mission statement or value alignment. And what defines us and our priorities as leaders, how what we decide is what we value most, all of these things play into it. And then making the decision about how we personally can make a difference. Maybe it's the impact of the people that we serve. Maybe it's the impact of our community or our families. And then Ultimately, keeping our eyes on the end result, because again, you don't want to stand up and make a bunch of noise and it not for the purpose at which you intended. So it's time to bring in our guest, Beth Carr. She's a friend and a CEO, someone who has integrated her organization's mission statement of social justice into her own way of life. It's personal to her, and she's been using this mantra, in a sense, to activate leadership in all aspects. Beth is, as I mentioned, a CEO of Santa Cruz Community Credit Union. She's been in the uh, industry for 30 years. I had the good fortune of working for her years ago in Ventura. She has a passion, determination, understanding to to really balance this mission with profitability and margin. And she believes in credit union leadership and that that as credit unions, as leaders, we can turn around a community. But with that comes a responsibility to serve without prejudice. And so I'd like to introduce you formally to Beth Carr. Hello, Beth. Hi. How are you? Doing great. How is it there in Santa Cruz today? Beautiful weather. So say, do you Just even gorgeous. celebrate winter in Santa Cruz? Um, we do have winter. <laughs> it's like uh, you, you know, add a scarf to the, you know, the the t-shirt kind of weather. Um, I wouldn't say today's sort of t-shirt kind of weather, but I would also say that we've it's been very cold and rainy. Um, even had some snowflakes um, around. So snowflakes. I'm not even sure um, I know what that looks like. <laughs> Just kidding. I uh, work out of Michigan sometimes, so. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, I've been familiar. So tell us about you. What, you know, how, where did you get to where you are? Tell us about you and your mission. Well, uh, first of all, my superpower is uh, stubbornness. And <laughs> so I would say that between stubbornness and determination, that is probably what's gotten me to this point. I'm not by nature a charismatic leader, um, but I am very determined when I see something that needs to be done. And there's nothing that makes me more crazy is when someone says, well, that's the way we've always done it, or I'm sorry, uh, that's impossible, that can't be done. Mm. So I think that's what has always in my life kind of, you know, fired up the, Hey, wait a minute. If you say that to me, the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, just watch me. Right. So, um, so I think, um, we've been at, I've been at this credit union now nine years. And when I arrived, this was a very, uh, cannabis friendly credit unit already. Um, it's the way of life in this culture. And for, if we, if I had closed those accounts, if I just said, Oh no, 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 it's too dangerous. We're not going to do this at that point. I'm not sure the credit union would be in business today because the community is very, uh, progressive thinking and very, um, diverse and very accepting of diversity. And so it's very important to have that, uh, approach and they, they really do, um, love their cannabis businesses. So, um, I think we've been serving since 1996 cannabis businesses. In fact, we wow. opened the first um, business in February of 1996, which, which, as you know, is when uh, marijuana became um, uh, medically legal in California. 
Wow, I was going to say 1996 seems like a long time ago for me, just because things are still happening today in 2020. But uh, it has been, California has been ahead of the game in that area, yes? Yeah, I think so. Although I would say there's still a lot of backwards issues. I mean, I think in California, as I think maybe versus Colorado, for example, I think the cannabis businesses worked in caves and hid out for so many years that um, it's still very difficult for them to trust. Mm -hmm. So I think that in our community where we've been serving a small group of of members for um, the number of years that we have, and we've added a few, um, obviously we have a really long waiting list now and we can't, as at our size, can't just take on everybody, but we do our best to make sure that they come on. But I think that there's a trust issue in the industry um, completely uh, across the board. For example, some of these businesses, their attorneys recommend that they start up shell companies and put different names on them and open a bank account somewhere where hopefully the bank doesn't realize they're a cannabis business so they can just do payroll for their employees. Mm, right. And that's that's one thing that just blows my mind in, in that because when people say we don't have access to financial institutions, people don't even understand what that means anymore because we're so right. integrated as and it's saturated as people and consumers these days. That's absolutely right. I think um, and when you talk about underserved, um, it's you may think, oh, no, no, no. Unserved people are not cannabis businesses. They have all this cash. Well, I think you'd be surprised how many of them don't have the cash. Um, and on top of that, they are really being, um, they, they were forcing them, just like in unserved immigrant communities, forcing them to go to um, uh, hard money lenders to get, because we nobody lends to them. Um, their employees can't buy a home. Um, although credit. there is, uh, mm-hmm. there are a few credit unions out there that are doing home loans to employees who are in cannabis businesses, um, but it's it's a difficult thing. We're forcing them into predatory lenders, just like we do in uh, my, my Im- immigration communities. It's it's similar to saying, well, if if we want these people to survive and to to live with this legal business and to do well, we need to bank them. And that's the same with our immigrants communities as well. And I love that this is so interesting to me because it's really highlighting both sides. When you think about when people don't have this stigma of the the stoners and the, the Cheech and Chong kind of thing, and actually think about the marijuana related business, you think about the booming side, that it's tremendous opportunity, right? That that I don't think it's highlighted enough the, the injustice that's occurring in the fact that, that we're forcing people into situations that that just aren't the 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 way. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think um, in our case, what what we're finding now is that um, there is a home for both those diverse under uh, many of those under, undeserved, unserved uh, businesses and and communities. For example, the cannabis business brings a ton of cash into our community, right? And into our credit union. Um, we offset that by lending that out um, as a CDFI and low-income designated credit union to people who need the funds. So they're benefiting um, from us, we're benefiting from them, and our low-income communities are really benefiting from their existence as well. It's it's turning out to be a wonderful balance of um, serving unserved people. But in this community, with them not being served by any other financial institution, you know, we're the only ones doing it. And I don't think that's going to be that way forever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it certainly is right now. And you have a waiting list, you said. So this is essentially people that want to become part of the credit union but can't because of like a risk management situation. <laughs> 
Um, ours is more based on, we have over a hundred businesses that are on a waiting list to open accounts. Um, the process for due diligence and, and risk management of getting a, 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 one of these businesses on board takes two to three months. It's all, it's worse than doing a business loan. Actually <laughs> it's, um, there's site visits. There's looking at all of their licensing and all of their, um, partners who's on their board. Um, the business of their transactions, all of those things have to come together and it takes a quite a while to get all of that done. So much of this work is manual. Um, so once that is completed and you bring someone aboard, our issue is that at 125 million in assets, um, we could not serve probably more than about 40 businesses. And right now we have about 25. Um, and unfortunately, if they, you know, we love them, they're our members, but if you don't toe the line from compliance perspective, yeah. you know, we have to say goodbye because that just puts the whole CDFI and low income focus of the credit union uh, at risk. And so undue pressure to, from yeah. the examiners and things as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, too, because our examiners for years looked at our cannabis accounts, uh, both state and federal, and looked at those accounts every time they came in to do an exam. But it wasn't until uh, California made marijuana recreationally legal mm -hmm. that it became a big issue. And so there have been constant questions about, you know, what we're doing, how we're doing it. Do you have enough staff? Um, are you handling everything? The latest thing with NCUA has been they want everyone to um, ensure to validate their verifin system or whatever um, uh, money laundering BSA system they're using to ensure that it's getting the right information. So it's an interesting process because all of a sudden it was like our examiners had never known or seen our cannabis accounts before. The, the interesting thing for me in this also is it's almost in a purest sense, straight discrimination. Because if I went to the, the state or to the city and got a business license and was like, I'm going to make um, pastries and I'm going to sell them or I'm going to make you know decorations and sell them, I'd come there, ask for a small business loan or something. And that process, would you wouldn't have to do a site visit. You wouldn't have to do some of these pieces if the proper licensing and things were right. in place. And yet with this other industry, it's this whole other hoops to jump through. Oh, yeah. And it's what's interesting about it is the state does the same work, but we're still required to do it over again. Yeah. So the state checks the licenses, the state does the, the visits and does all of these things to the point where you're almost checking if they're growers, you're checking the tags on their marijuana plants. I mean, mm -hmm. um, we've had staff come back from site visits and we're like, what have you been doing? <laughs> you smell like marijuana. But I mean, part of that is the state's doing this, but we have to do it as well because that's what's required to ensure that we know everything we know about that business. I bet it's just because the state has so many volunteers to help in the audit process for the, <laughs> for the site visits. Um, you, so you've shared that uh, with me, that leadership really is a commitment to a mission or this economic justice, and it's synonymous with providing all people access. And, and what is that? How did that play into this? Were you worried about being a rebel coming into this credit or being kind of termed as a rebel? You know, I, I wasn't. Um, I didn't really think that I was being a rebel by serving the people that were in the community. It didn't occur to me till it became a lot more um, known out mm -hmm. there that we were doing this. To me, it was just serving your local folks. Um, I really do believe that uh, this mission, the social and economic justice is about standing in the gap for others who either don't have a voice or can't have a voice or don't know they have a voice. Um, and it, it's across all people groups and it, it, it is very discriminatory. Um, and we know we live in a discriminatory society as much as we 
want to think that we don't. It's it's everywhere, and injustice is everywhere. And I think living in this small town, and the Santa Cruz is really a small town, um, and coming from a mainstream community like I came from, I was surprised at how much injustice there there really is because it was so transparent. It was so right on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And the the. I would imagine from an industry perspective as well, so not even just the community, but from an industry perspective, like you were talking about the examiners and, and all those pieces, it's now becoming a topic of conversation because it's spreading across the country as far as the recreational piece of it. But it is still, it comes with a stigma. It does. It does. I, I was um, just about a year, year and a half ago, I was at a California Credit Union League um, uh, meeting, and there was a huge number of credit unions around the around the table and uh, Diane Dyster was talking and she made a comment about, um, you know, serving cannabis businesses and the group looked completely alarmed. And one person said, who in the world would do that? That's just nuts. And I'm like shrinking in my seat. Right. (laughs) And uh, Diana looked at me and started laughing and it's like, well, you know, we're doing it because we're not like serving everybody in the state We're we have a, you know, field of membership that's really Santa Cruz County and we're serving those people in the county. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it does come with a stigma. I think examiners, um, when they come in now seem like, um, they think we're doing something crazy. Um, that their, their latest is all about, you know, we want to make sure you're profitable. Um, and, and we are, um, which is kind of a whole nother conversation, but I think the profitability of the business is, is being able to cover the costs of the compliance of the staff that have to be involved of the software of the organizational parts of that. Have you ever had staff it, where it doesn't align with their own personal values? Um, I haven't, I think, um, we have a, you know, like a four-person compliance department, so we've had to really grow wow. that. But they've all been very, very interested in the in serving this businesses from the perspective that it's it's fascinating. They get to do the the uh, analysis and investigation work, which many of them just love because they're constantly looking at these transactions, every transaction to see has something not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of bad actors out there, and I'm pleased to say that our uh, our group of members are are not those folks. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more that we, you know, prove that we have these businesses, there's a lot of cannabis businesses that are doing everything right. They're towing the line. The more you can establish the fact that they're not criminals. I think um, I think there was even a, one thing in an exam recently where they said you allowed a um, business to come in and they, one of the people on the in the in the uh, business had a criminal background, and why did you do that? And the criminal background was possession of marijuana. Oh gosh, okay. So I think that's what we're seeing is just a, a over zealous. I'm sorry, treatment. you have to know if the the backgrounds of the employees that work at these businesses. Um, we do ensure that they do background checks, but we also review, um, you know, the, the criminal history of the owners and wow. everything about them. They are completely exposed. Wow. That, that's insanity. And for anybody that maybe isn't working in financial services, having four people in compliance at your size of an institution is a lot. Yes. 
Yeah, it is. And and part of it, I think this hasn't become something that's efficiently streamlined anywhere. Um, you have to look at their transactions. If they're doing wires, and of course we've had comments, people say, oh, you shouldn't do wires for cannabis businesses. But the fact is they're still trying to do business. They mm -hmm. have to buy containers and packaging. And, and so if they're wiring money to or from, we have to look at every single invoice and match up the dollars. So there's a lot of manual involvement in that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And considering the fact that they aren't integrated into financial things, a lot of things we may take for granted, like using a credit card or swiping different things, like you said, payroll, all of that stuff is just, it's different. And so not only if you're, if you're offering as an institution, but that they as an institution can't utilize that with other businesses either. Right. No, you're right. That's exactly right. Um, and so when it comes to this, so taking a stand on this and serving your members, just it feels, and I can feel it in you, that feels like the right thing to do. Did it uh, naturally align with your own personal mission right away? It didn't right away. Actually, my um, some of my life lessons along the way, um, Santa Cruz is such an interesting community. And they, like I said before, they really do embrace um people's personal freedoms, you know, initially it was sort of like, uh, what cracked me up about kind of the membership, even the board of directors at the time was, you know, um, you know, the government can't tell us what to do. We don't, we don't listen to the man. Right. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny, but I, did, you know, cause I'm kind of a pretty straight laced person, but I did find that over time I started to love this community. Like, like never before, I really see, how I have changed. It's been a life lesson for me. I've changed in understanding what they're trying to do and not feeling um, as uncomfortable. It's, it's not about that anymore. It's about really doing the right thing. It does create a culture, though, too. People will ask why I love Las Vegas, and we definitely love the uh, embracing individuality here as well. But it uh, it is a culture, and it actually brings up a, a stronger culture of inclusion. And people will say, "Well, why do you why do you love Vegas?" And say, "Because anything goes." And I don't mean that in the the bachelor party sense, although that that occurs too. I mean it in the sense that that. There isn't as much of a built-in class structure or a you did this or you live there and that kind of thing that people are cool with people just being whoever they are or acting in crazy ways. And that, that, yeah. that is inherent. Yeah, I think that is inherent in the community. I think there's pockets. Um, I'm always surprised um, because I, I'm on the board of the Community Action Board in Santa Cruz, and they're a wonderful organization that is, strives to eliminate poverty. And it's so very well aligned with our organization as far as that they do. But there's still pockets of discrimination about immigration and, um, you know, some of the programs they do. They get people call up and say, I'm going to I'm going to call ICE. You know, if, you know, and, and it, it surprises me because the community is so open and free, but there are pockets throughout the community, like any community sure, right. that don't, don't align. And have you, it, you know, come across anything crazy or have any funny stories for us? Well, I, I, and there's been a lot of crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have a serious, uh, homeless issue obviously. And so that's, that is a struggle for us because, you know, one day we're taking them coffee in the parking lot cause we feel bad for them and they're cold and it's rainy. And the next day, you know, you've got someone who's on something who's pounding on your car and you're calling the police. So it's really, it's, it's a difficult it's um, balance on that. On the other hand, um, I, when I first came to the credit union, I, I uh, was so excited to have a window because I have a, a window in my office and I thought I'm near the ocean and open the windows, get a great sea breeze in. And after about an hour, I was like, what is that smell? And why do I have the munchies? <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, my staff came in and they were laughing. And as they said, you know, apparently the back of the building is a very popular place to hang out and uh, smoke pot. Oh, no. Things we learn. (laughs) Well, uh, have you been able to push along the park bench a little so you could open your window or yeah, do you just oh embrace yeah. there's, it? There's, well, actually, it wasn't even us. I think the city came in one day and decided that they would pave behind our building with rocks so that no one could like sit there. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm a little concerned that someone might hurt themselves on those rocks, but that did eliminate a lot of the people that were hanging out. People just thought it was your new incense, huh? Bring into the organization. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the uh, So if... Someone is wanting to fight for their beliefs or believe in, in some social mission things that could happen. What's what's something that they could do? Where could they start? Well, I think you have to align. You have to go to, to other people and hear what their visions are. If we aren't open to hearing what other people's visions and missions are, um, then ours is, you know, becomes stale, I think, to some extent. But I do think that when you find other people who maybe their vision, their vision isn't the same, Mm -hmm. but their vision aligns or symbiotic with yours. I think two or three people going up the river, uh, together is a lot stronger and faster than just one person going up the river alone. So I think you get, um, you get a, you find other people that you can learn from that can be partners with you that can, can, um, walk alongside from you that you can learn from and they can learn from you. I think having that kind of focus is important. And of course, again, stubbornness and determination doesn't hurt at all. No doubt about it. So we're going to do some quick response questions. Does that sound good? So I'm going to give you a question and then just top of mind as quickly as you can respond. And the first one, I thought I would go with some either ors. Are you up for that? So uh, Uh, sunshine or thunderstorms? Oh, thunderstorms. And hard rock or soft rock? Uh, Soft rock. And learn, love, or kick ass? Oh, kick ass. <laughs> All right. And then if you uh, fill in the blank here, if I could, I would blank every day. Rescue an animal from a shelter. Oh, you would. I see that in you. And the last one, the world would be a better place if there were no bad actors. Mm, I love that. What a great way to end. So uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how if could they do that? How so? Um, I think my direct phone line is probably the best way. I'm a little broken when it comes to the thousands of emails I receive. But um, if they called me at 831-460-2344, I would respond. Awesome. Thank you so much for opening yourself up. Can you leave us with a bold action item? I think you should um, embrace disruption. Taking this job was the biggest disruption of my life, and it's good. It it cleans out the cobwebs in your brain, and and disruption creates creativity as well as uh, new things. So embrace disruption. I love it. Thank you so much, Beth, for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story with us, and I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Thank you, Brandy. Bye. Let's head out Bye-bye. to our shout-out. Hey, it's Lynette. You're listening to Brandy on the Strategic Hotbox, and we're having a great time! Much to Lynette for that shout out. We were having a good time, and that video proves it. So, thank you so much for the shout out. And 
Today's conversation with Beth was absolutely outstanding. I loved it. Hearing about how she has aligned her mission and how she really is focused on the service of those in need in her community. So with today's kick ass, the way I'm going to frame it for us is kind of answering the question, if you're standing up for social justice, here are three things that you can do. So if you're standing up for yourself or for something that you believe in, here are three things that you can do. The first is to go with your gut. If you, if it, something doesn't feel right, there's a good chance it's not. And if something is something that you really believe in and you don't think that what's happening is right or there is an injustice in place, go with your gut. Number two is understand the root issue. Understand the root cause, the root membership, the core of what it is that you're serving. Eyes on the prize. And to what I mentioned earlier about not crying wolf, not standing up and diluting your own message by, by, by crying for everything, but to understand the root and focus on the root of that. And finally, be aware and be brave. One thing that I wrote down that Beth shared with us is for people that don't have a voice, for people that can't have a voice, for people that don't know they have a voice, be brave for those individuals. Be aware of everything that's happening and be brave. There's your kick ass. Thank you so much to Beth Carr for being here with us today. What an insightful topic, and it can be applied in so many ways beyond marijuana as well. For those of you that are standing up for something that you believe in, whether it's an emerging market or community that you're part of, that maybe the voice isn't being heard. Hopefully, this gives you some motivation and tips on how to approach some of that. And if you are interested in some of the social justice, what's happening with marijuana, you know, and banking, reach out to us as well. We'd love to connect you with the right people because at the end of the day it is all about that learning and loving and of course kicking ass thank you for being here today get out there and kick some butt